The year was 1915. The Mexican boll weevil had made its way through Texas and was now in Alabama. In Alabama, it began systematically destroying the cotton crop, one of the major mainstays of the, the economy at that time. Devastation was so great, about 60% of the, the crop was wiped out. Farmers were heading to bankruptcy. The local economy was at stake. Desperate for solutions, they reached out and heard counsel from folks like George Washington Carver and other agriculturalists to diversify their agriculture, and they began to plant, among other things, peanuts. In fact, it is by 1917, Coffee County in Alabama produced and harvested more peanuts than any other county in the nation at that time. They were so grateful for the turn of events, so grateful for the lessons that they had learned about diversifying their uh, economy, that the residents erected the only monument, the only known monument to an agricultural pest, the Bowl Weevil Monument. It was erected. Some of you have seen that. It was dedicated December 11, 1919. Stands in the center of Enterprise, Alabama, the intersection of Main Street and College. If you find yourself in Enterprise, Alabama, and make your way to that intersection and see the so the statue, the monument dedicated to the bow weevil, at the bottom you'll find this inscription: "In profound appreciation of the bow weevil." And what it has done as the herald of prosperity, this monument was erected by the citizens of Enterprise, Coffee County, Alabama. There you go, in case you were looking for a vacation spot this summer, right? The Bow Evil Monument. Yeah, we, we put monuments up to help us to remember things, right? We have some even in our community. If you'd walk to, to Main Street, you would, and down you would see some things. You see markers along the side of a highway. If you go to the mall of Washington, D.C., you see the impressive towering Washington Monument, the the majesty of the the Lincoln Memorial. You'd see the MLK monuments and reminders. You see those of the Korean War, the Vietnam War, World War II, and so many others along the way. Why all of these monuments? They're to help us to remember. Memorials to help us not to forget. When Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room, literally hours before his arrest, which would lead quickly to his crucifixion, he gave to them and to us a memorial, uh, a remembrance. We call it by different names, uh, Eucharist, Communion, or the Lord's Supper. It is, and I think still to this day, is the greatest memorial of all. It's not impressive in its size and stature. Actually, the Bowl Weevil Monument is bigger, right? But it's a piece of bread and a cup. And that bread and that cup are so significant 
because they are to point us, they are to remind us of what Jesus Christ did for us that we could not do for ourselves. And so across the world, you'll find believers of all shapes and sizes, all all stripes, all followers of Jesus Christ taking the bread and taking the cup. And today, as the body of Christ in this place, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. But because of its importance, because of its significance, it is important. It really does matter how we approach it, how we participate in it. And so to prepare us for the bread and the cup, I wanted to take just a a few moments and and look at Paul's words as they're recorded for us in 1 Corinthians, as he, he records for us what he received from the Lord about coming to the Lord's table. And I want to just lift up a few things that the Lord's Supper is a time of. The first thing that the Lord's Supper is a time of, it is a time of commemoration. A time of commemoration. In 1 Corinthians 11, beginning in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Whatever else the Lord's Supper is, it is to be done in remembrance. It is to be done in commemoration of Jesus. So as we think about participating in the Lord's table, let's, let's at the very first acknowledge that our focus is to be on Jesus Christ. Our focus is to be on Jesus Christ. And you say, well, doesn't that go without saying? Well, obviously not, because I just said it, right? Uh, but we can focus on a whole lot of other things. Sometimes when people come, they focus on on their sin. We need to deal with our sin for sure. But the focus is not primarily about our sin. It is about Jesus Christ. Our focus sometimes gets shifted to, to what, what, what has happened in the past or, or what kind of bread you're using or what's in the cup or how is it being administered and on and on and on the list of things go. But with the focus is to be on Jesus Christ. You see, today I wanted to take some time to do this because for many of us, we've taken the bread and the cup a lot in our lives. And I think if we're not careful, that which we do frequently, we can sometimes do without thinking. We can do almost with a sense of been there, done that. And today I want to just take a few moments and remind us that this was instituted, this was given, this was modeled by Jesus with intentionality to focus us on Jesus Christ, but most specifically to focus us upon his death, body that was broken, blood 
that was shed. You do this in remembrance. You do this in remembrance of, of the, the, the great gift, the great love, the great sacrifice, the, the willingness of Jesus Christ to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so as we come in this commemoration, the, there is a somber part of it because of, of the, the reality of what happened. But it, but it should also be such a, such a celebration. It was a sense of, of, of thank you, God, of, of all that you have done for us. And so it is commemoration, but with that commemoration, can I just lift before you the value of appreciation? Of appreciation. The appreciation for what Jesus Christ did for us. And so there should be that sense of, of celebration. Seeing the, the uh, sport shirts out here, those getting ready to go to St. George with Victory Sports. How appropriate that we have this uh, scripture, kind of this theme verse for VSO as part of the message today. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Take that bread and take that cup, but, but do it with that sense of, of thank you, God. Thank you for the victory. Thank you that my sin and my rebellion doesn't have to be the last word. Thank you that, that perhaps the poor choices I've made along the way doesn't have to be the last word. God, thank you for the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that as a body sometimes deteriorates, that's not the last word. Thank you, Father, that when disease comes and it has come to many in the life of this fellowship, it does not have the last word. That Jesus is going to have the last word. It is the victory that has been won. God, thank you today that death does not have the last word because you have won the victory over sin. You have won the victory yes, indeed, over the grave. And so approach the table, yes, remembering, yes, reflecting, but approach it with humility and approach it with just a profound sense of gratitude, a humility that recognizes it was because of my sin, it was because of, of my choosing to go my way instead of God's way, my treasonous rebellion against the love and the holiness of God that made the cross necessary, but such gratitude that God loved you enough to do it. That God said, you matter to me enough to come. One of the things that we would hope that would happen as we come to the table is we would have a heightened awareness of sin. But with a heightened awareness of sin, which creates humility, there'd be a heightened appreciation for the grace of God and the victory that we have, that Jesus did for us what we absolutely could not do for ourselves. So today, I hope it'll be a time of remembering, focusing on Jesus. Don't let your sin be the primary focus. Yes, come with humility, but let there be such gratitude and appreciation for what Jesus Christ has done. But inheriting these instructions from Paul is also to come and participate in the Lord's Supper with proclamation in mind. With proclamation in mind, verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he 
comes. There is this, this proclamation that, that as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we are getting to, in many ways, the root of the gospel message. This Jesus who lived this life of perfect love and perfect obedience toward his Father, who voluntarily and on purpose went to the cross and, and died, paid the death, death penalty that I owed because of, of, of his love for me. Because of my sin, he died in my place, the righteous for the unrighteous, so that he might bring me to God. There is this proclamation that is inherent in this. In fact, is you heard Brian talk a few moments ago about we're going to have just a time of baptism uh, uh, in August here in just a few weeks as we celebrate God's activity. You know, baptism and the Lord's Supper can be one of the finest opportunities a parent will have to begin to explain the gospel of Jesus Christ to their children. The broken body, the shed blood. This is what Jesus did for us. Baptism, even as one comes into the water, Christ came into the world. And as you see that picture standing there, the, the, the water and the body forming a, a kind of a cross and then the, the, the going under the water and coming back up, the, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here in this, these two memorials, these two markers, these two remembrances, God gives us the essence of the gospel. And so there is this proclamation. It may very well be that, that, that even today there will be this, this proclamation that goes forth, uh, even in some conversations that you have along the way. There is proclamation that is an inherent part of coming to the Lord's table. But also there is an anticipation and anticipation. I don't know if you caught the last ver verse there, last part of that verse, verse 26. Until he comes. Until he comes. We're going to continue to take the bread. We're going to continue to take the cup until he comes comes. There is this, this link, if you will, this link between uh, the, the two comings of Jesus. His coming as a babe in Bethlehem and the life that he lived and then the, the death that he died, and buried and resurrected, but then ascended to the Father. But then there is also a sense that we're going to continue to do this until that day, until that day that he returns, when he comes back. And so as I take the bread and then I take the cup, I say, God, I am anticipating that that day. I am anticipating the day when Jesus Christ comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and establishes his kingdom. And invariably along the way I get these questions and have these conversations and I had another one this week and somebody just said, you know, Jeff, don't you feel like we're living in the last days? And I always kind of, uh, a little bit of that conversation because I know what I'm going to tell them is not what they want to hear. You know, I, sometimes I think they want to hear, oh, yeah, it's next Tuesday, or, you know, that eclipse, that's it, you know. That's it. My answer is always, I don't know. I don't know. Because I think that's what the Bible says. We're not going to know exactly the time. I've read enough history to know that every generation has what I call its own kind of arrogance, if you will. We tend to think that, you know, the world kind of pivots around the time when we're living. 
And if you look back through history, you realize that there have been people who have declared Christ returning at all sorts of times through the centuries, and obviously they've been wrong. But then they, they went on and pressed in that conversation a little bit. Well, what do you, you know, everything that's going on in our nation and all of this and all of this and all of this. And I said, oh, wait a minute. Make sure you don't confuse two things. Make sure you don't confuse the fate of America and the return of Jesus Christ. Now, stick with me because some of you are going to write nasty things on your card here, all right? Listen. I, I, I love this land. I wouldn't want to be a, a citizen of any other country. But this is what I know. The kingdom of God is bigger than the United States of America. If you were living in Rome centuries ago... you would have thought that the Roman Empire would never end... The Roman Empire and a whole lot of others have come and gone. But the kingdom of God's going to stand forever. Hear me. God doesn't need America, but America needs God. And so I, I'm not predicting the collapse of America or anything like that. Don't go tweeting something here, all right? But this is what I know. Sometimes when somebody gets angst and is Christ going to return, we're thinking about it not only with a little bit of a generational arrogance, but we're thinking about it with a little bit of national arrogance. All I know is that he's coming. And there are many days I pick up the, the words of the New Testament, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But I don't know when that's going to be. But this is what I know. That we are to continue to take the bread and the cup. And it is a proclamation of all that he has done. But it is also an anticipation of what is yet to come. And the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. As the king of kings and lord of lords is recognized in his rightful place. And restores his righteous rule along the way. And so we come today and I hope that there is a sense of anticipation. Even as we look back, we also look forward. But there's one other thing that I want want you to see here in these verses and that is as we participate in the lord's supper it is to be a time of examination it is to be a time of examination verse 27 whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the lord let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now those are indeed sobering words. Yes, come commemorating and remembering. Come with 
heightened appreciation and gratitude for all that God has done. Come with that sense of proclaiming again the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Come with a heightened anticipation that that he is coming again. But as we approach the table, let us examine. And at the most basic level to examine, have you accepted Jesus Christ as the sole provision for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your life. And if you'll allow me to focus for just a moment on the the word soul there. Soul provision. Sometimes in religion circles, maybe we think, well, it, you, Jesus did this, but it's Jesus plus my good works uh, that somehow earns my forgiveness or earns my salvation. No, 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 no. My good works are, even on their best days, need to be covered in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I love the way Jerry Bridges put it. He said, even my tears of repentance need to be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. There are no good works that I bring to the table. Good works emerge from a new life in Jesus Christ. But my life, my forgiveness, my salvation is is based on the provision, solely upon the provision of Jesus Christ. But it also has implications for sharing the gospel. Some of you have, have been in some, some mission field settings, and don't hear me say this is every setting, but, but there are settings where as you're sharing the gospel, you have to be careful. You have to be careful because someone may be very eager to say, I want that Jesus. But you, you have to be aware of the culture. You have to be aware of where they're coming from. And sometimes but what they're saying is, yes, I want that Jesus. I'm going to add him to all the other ones I have. I'm going to put Jesus on the shelf along with this and this and this and this. And it's like I'm, I'm just going to cover them all, right? Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, will tolerate no rivals. It is not Jesus and da-da-da-da-da. It is Christ and Christ alone. He is the sole provision for the forgiveness of my sin, my rebellion against a holy God, my, my rebellion against his love, my choosing my way instead of his. The only way for the, my sin to be forgiven, my life to be secured now and forever, is through the sole provision of Jesus Christ. And so today, even as we come to the table, what I'm going to say to you is, if you're here today and and you're not sure about the answer to that question before you right now, you, you have some hesitation around that, then this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Before you leave this room today, I'm going to invite you to make your way to that connect room in the very back of our worship space. And we're going to have some folks that are going to be there, and they would be delighted, they would be honored to sit down with you and, and talk a little more fully and a little more completely about what it means to trust in Christ and Christ alone as the sole provision for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your life. Today could be the day of salvation. Today could be the day. We invite all of those who truly know Jesus Christ as the sole provision for their forgiveness to join in this Lord's Supper with us. If there's any hesitation about that or you have some questions about that, please, please make your way to the Connect Room before we're done.
But there's some other questions there that's part of this examination. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as Lord? Part of coming to the table is recognizing not only is he Savior, but he is, he is Lord. He is, he is worthy of first place. He is worthy of first love. He is worthy of first allegiance in my life. That, that he is the one who, who, who my life works best when it is aligned with his design. And I am designed for him to be the ruler in my life, for him to be the, the Lord of my life. When I rebel against that, when I choose my way, instead of his I'm basically saying God I'm smarter than you and so today as I come before the table one of the questions of examination is is God is there any area where I've chosen my way instead of yours any area of my life today where I've just said it at the street level God I'm smarter than you and today is the invitation to turn from that foolishness Repentance is not a negative word. Repentance is an invitation to turn, excuse me, turn from that which steals, kills, and destroys and turn to the one who gives life. Surrendering my life fully to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Today, today, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? And as part of that examination, are you willing to be honest? Are you willing to be honest about any sin in your life and take care of that sin before you take the supper? And what does it mean to take care of that sin? Let me just give you three thoughts. First is confess it. Confess it. Confession is is basically saying the same thing as. It's agreeing with God. It's saying, God, I see this the way that you see it. I agree with your perspective on this. The world may say it's okay. It's not a big deal. We might wink at it or laugh at it. But God, I understand what it is. And so I agree. I agree that it is destructive. I agree that it is not your best. I agree that there's a better way to live. And as I confess it, I forsake it. I forsake it. I I turn from it. It's not enough to say I agree that's wrong. I agree that's not the best. But I have to turn from that and turn anew and afresh to Christ. I need his provision not only for the forgiveness of my sin, but the empowerment to live with him as my Lord. And so I confess it. I forsake it. And in some situations, I may have to rectify it. I may have to rectify it. Jesus said if you're... At the altar, you have your gift, and you there discover that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there at the altar and go make it right. For some of you, part of this examination may be, I need to make a phone call. I need to walk down the hall. I need to set up a lunch. I need to write a letter or email or start it with a text. Because my sin, maybe in some cases, has not only been against God, but it's hurt other people. It's affected their life. And so there may be that I need to go and say, I need you to forgive me. I need to own my part in this mess. Maybe today there has to be even some restitution along the way if that's possible. But part of being honest is not only confessing, not only forsaking, 
but to rectify it. And so today, we invite all of those who know the name of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord to approach the table with us. But I want you to participate in the Lord's Supper today with that sense of commemoration. I am remembering what Jesus Christ did for me that I could not do for myself. And with that, a profound appreciation, a humility and a gratitude as you hold uh, the, the reality of why the cross was necessary against the backdrop of God's great love and provision. Do it with that sense of proclamation, of proclaiming the gospel in anticipation of him coming again. But do it as you come with that, that sense of examination. God, just show me. Let's, let's, just what a great opportunity to just come clean again, to kind of be cleansed. You know, in the upper room, Jesus was washing the feet. You remember when Peter at first said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part of me. He said, well, then, not just the feet, everything. Jesus spoke a word that is a powerful principle. He said, if you've already been cleansed, your feet's enough, basically. What was he saying? He was saying, I think, even to you and I today, you know, we live life under the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe as we walk through the dusty world, we pick up some junk on our feet, don't we? And so we just need to come back. And we, 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 don't, we don't have to, to, to be, go through a whole salvation experience again. We're already clean. But we do need our feet to be washed. We do need to experience, experience the cleansing of Jesus Christ for our sin, for some of those things we've been doing. And so today, that's what we're just inviting you to do. Just in a time of examination, allow God to cleanse you. For the very first time as Savior and Lord, or maybe to wash some of the dirt and the dust of sin off your feet. Let's bow our heads together as we pray, please. Oh, Father, in these moments right now, we're just so grateful to come before you. So grateful for your love, your grace, your mercy, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that makes even these prayers possible. And so, Father, thank you for your love and grace and mercy and goodness, your, your patience toward us. And, Lord, today, as we come before you in these moments of examination, Lord, just would you graciously, through your Holy Spirit, just speak to our lives. Speak to us about where we stand with you. Speak to us about any area where we need to surrender anew and afresh. Lord, would you allow us a few moments of honesty as we come before you and invite you to make us clean anew and afresh just going to invite you right now just to take a few moments in preparation for the supper